Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 30th of October 2017 and this is episode number 38. On this week's show, I talked to Dr. Vivian Newman about female agents, espionage and the murky world of spooks during the Great War. Viv has today published a new book on the German agent Regina Diana, titled Seductress Siren Spy, The Undercover World of Agent Regina Diana, 1914-1918, published by Pen and Sword. I spoke to Viv earlier about her new book over the interweb from her home in Essex. Hi Viv, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about your latest book on Regina Diana. I don't know whether I pronounced that right. Who was a highly effective Swiss-born spy who worked for the Germans in France during World War One? To begin with, I've never heard of Regina Diana. I've heard of Matahari, but never Regina Diana. Where did she come from? And what was her background? And was Regina Diana really her name? Right. Thanks very much for inviting me back, Tom. And I'm delighted to speak to you about somebody who I find so utterly intriguing. No one seems to have heard of Regina. Everybody has heard of, who knows anything about the Great War seems to have heard of Marta Hari, who probably never did any spying. Yet Regina has been airbrushed out of history by as far as I can tell, both sides. Her real name was Marie Antoinette Avico. Her cobbler father was Italian, her laundress mother was French, and she was born in Switzerland in 1885 in what was then a very working-class area of Geneva, Petit Saxony, which, ironically, is now where Geneva Airport is situated and, indeed, where all the great exhibition centres, such as for the great Geneva car show, are held. So I find it quite funny whenever I visit Geneva to think that I'm actually walking on exactly the same area where she, she lived. But from very early on, she was a difficult child. And by the beginning of the 20th century, she had fallen in with a very rough crowd, including, and this is crucial for her story, a garage owner on the make by the name of Cherix. He loathed the French, and he seems to have brought her round to his point of view. So from your book, she obviously grew up in Geneva, and she, she then began to get entwined with the Germans in 1910. How did, them, how did she end, get entangled with German intelligence services before the First World War? What seems to have happened is that by 1910, in fact, by the turn of the century, she and Cherix were something of an item. She worked as a café concert singer, and anybody who's seen her picture will understand that she had the sort of lungs that we associate with singers and the physique of a singer. And Cherix was obviously um, absolutely sort of overwhelmed by her. Although his main job was a garage owner, he was actually in the pay of the Germans. He was also a pimp. And on this occasion, he pimped her and suggested she be taken onto their books because Germany was starting to look at recruiting potential agents to work amongst the French-speaking Swiss population. And with his loathing of the of the French, Cherix had been noticed by the by the Germans. And then, as they looked to extend their their network of potential agents, they were very delighted to bring her on board. Now, she, she adopted the name Regina, Regina Diana, I think, by, by 1910. And was that her stage name? 
that was her stage name. And one occasionally, very, very occasionally, one gets sight of her in um, local papers as performing in various cafe concerts and music halls in the in the Geneva area. And she always comes under the stage name of Regina Diana. And in fact, it was quite a long time before I found out what her what her real name was. So she was seems to have been known by everybody by 1910 as Regina. I think it's, it is complex, isn't it? Because I think she got married before she met Sharix, if I, if, I, if I remember the book correctly. Yes, you're right. Yes, she did. I, I think that, that probably she was pregnant. She was pushed into marrying whoever the child's father was. And the only sight of him is on the daughter's birth certificate. And by 1910, he's long off the off the scene. She was 16 when the when the little girl was was born. And I imagine that by the time Regina was 17, um, the husband has disappeared, never to never to be seen or heard of again. So it was definitely she then took up with with Cherique and that's the person she remained with until, um, mainly remained with, shall we say, until the outbreak of the war. So the Germans recruit her, but why would they be interested in a Swiss national from technically a neutral country? For a number of reasons. And I think the main one was that she had um, contacts in France. Her daughter had been placed in a in a French boarding school come, come orphanage and her mother's family was still in, in France, not very far from Geneva. The daughter was a at a school in in Crest, and this gave her the opportunity to travel backwards and forwards across the across the frontier with nobody taking any notice of her. And the Germans were very aware that if stroke when war war broke out, their main adversary would be the the French, and so therefore French speakers who could pass into France and not not be noticed were of great interest to them. And so Regina, in many ways, ticked all the all the boxes for somebody who would be um, an ideal spy. So once they, they, they've recruited her to their service, what sort of training did they give her? Well, as far as I can work out, she was well trained and they had, they set up what we would call spy schools where she would have learned a number of the tricks of the trade, um, particularly or including using invisible ink, which she became a past mistress at doing, and also how to pass messages and receive messages using, for example, and this again for somebody who was a, a singer is ideal, bouquets were often used either with a message just concealed in the in the bunch of flowers or by grouping using particular flowers even bending leaves in a particular way a message could be passed and we know that there was a spy working in Marseille um, in the pay of the Germans who was a florist and so he would have been ideally placed to pass and stroke receive information from her so you begin to get a sense of how the how the training and how what tricks she was able to to use. Also, letterbox drops were quite popular and letters would be sent to a hotel to be forwarded on to an anonymous or fictitious address rather. And then they would be forwarded on um, by the hotel porter who would be in the, the pay of the Germans or they would somebody would come and collect the letters. And she was very skilled at using these types of, of tricks to pass her messages back to Switzerland. And of course, she travelled herself extensively between France and Switzerland so she could have brought information either in her head or on her person. So she, she starts working for the Germans probably bef- around 1910. So what's she doing before the war? And then what does she do during the war? 
before the war, we know that she was placed working as a milliner in Paris near the Chateau de Vincennes. She'd actually been trained as a milliner and she was placed in a milliner's workshop very near the Chateau de Vincennes, obviously the headquarters of the of the French army, where she was able to observe what was going on whilst busy making her hats. And she, she was befriended by a number of officers who were working at Vincennes. And so I suppose in a way the Germans were trialling her and watching the information that she was able to send back to them. So by the time war breaks out, she's she's quite skilled both at her millinery trade and her spying trade. And then war breaks out and obviously the Germans become interested in what's going on in France. So, so where do they send her? They send her down to Marseille. She seems to have, she appears for the first time in Mar- Marseille in very early 1915. And of course, Marseille um, was a crucial port for Allied operations. It soon became a very popular spot for R&R for the French troops. And it had a very big café concert and music hall culture. And so she was sent down there to work as a as a singer in the in the café concert, but also to keep a very um, weather eye on what, what was happening. And we know that she, she had postcards that she was sending back and receiving from various um, soldiers that she'd become friendly with. And these she, she would forward on to either to Geneva or to Zurich. She used both, both towns as as drops and with information about what was going on in the in the port. So what type of information would she be looking to report? Right. Her briefs included reporting on troop movements, troops embarking and disembarking at Marseille, because, of course, it was one of the huge entry points for troops coming in for the Dominion, from the Dominions and also troops being sent to, for example, Salonica and to other the other theatres of war. So she would send back information about those. And crucially, she was also briefed to send information about um, what was actually going going on in Marseille in terms of the civilians, because wars aren't only fought and lost on the on the battlefield, but civilian morale in total war becomes very important. And Marseille was in many points, many ways, quite a good sort of sounding block for what was happening in France. And by the time that strikes and shortages begin to bite and morale plummets, she was sending a lot of information back to Germany about about that as well. So she she was also she was watching both the um, military side, naval side with the ships and also the civilian side. So was she was she as a lone operator, or was there a, wide, a wider network of which she was a part? I'm convinced um, she was part of a wider network of spies. She would have been working under somebody called um, I mentioned her in our last podcast, Fräulein Doctor Elizabeth Schragmüller, and um, she was the spy master for the whole of the um, Western Front, and she would have placed other spies in Marseille because it was such a, a crucial port and such crucial place to have someone and so but what we never I've never managed to establish is who exactly was part of this network in terms of other spies she certainly had a number of soldiers who were in her pay and who were giving her information whether they knew that they were passed it was being passed back to Germany or not I'm not quite quite sure but she although she appears a lone operator I'm totally convinced that she wasn't. 
Now, why, why did Regina spy on France during the war? Because her motivation seems to be really quite interesting, given she came from a neutral country and had grown up in a French-speaking part of, of Switzerland. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that there was a mixture of money, glamour and anti-French feeling. As both Schragmüller and her chief, the chief of German intelligence, Walter Nikolai, acknowledged, many, many people will actually agree to spy if the price is right. Now, Regina wanted to claw her way up the social ladder and leave the very seedy world of Café Concert behind her. Through Cherix, she had learned to, as a quite a young woman, she had learned to loathe the, the French, despite her mother being France. I think that something happened. She was sent for a year to, to live in France with her mother's family when she was became too much of a handful for her parents. And I think something happened there to rather turn her against the, the French. But certainly when she comes back, her French anti-French sentiments are very pronounced. And also, during the war, there was a lot of pro-German activity and feelings going on in Geneva. Um, the, Swiss, the story of Swiss neutrality is deeply, deeply complex, and we certainly can't go into it, into it now. But there was certainly a lot of anti-French feeling in Geneva. And I think there was also the feeling of, for a long time, the Swiss believed that Germany was going to win the war. And so she probably thought, why not back the wing it, winning side? It certainly would make good sense. Cherix backed the Germans the second time around as well. So to think that all French-speaking Swiss were pro the Allies and all German-speaking Swiss were pro the Central Powers is is far from the the truth. So I think she'd imbibed these anti-German, anti-French feelings. The pay was good. It was glamorous. Uh, she decided she'd give it a go. So actually, from your book, it, it, you talk about how she was able to move back and forth from Geneva to Zurich um, to France to Crest and also Marseille. Didn't these these journeys actually arouse any any suspicion by the Swiss or the French authorities? They don't seem to have done. She always all her paperwork was always in in order and it had the correct um, stamps in it. And it was a long time before anybody became suspicious of her. And I think it was because basically her cover was right. She she had the right to travel to and from Switzerland. She had the right to travel across France. She had a work permit for Marseille and also much to France. France's fury, the Swiss were not good at policing what was a very porous border between France and um, and, Ge- and Geneva. So it was very easy for her to slip across. And there's also some quite compelling evidence from Swiss newspapers that there are a number of Swiss border guards in the Geneva area who were actually in receipt of favours from, from Germany and sort of quite... The Germans paid well. And I think that these, these Swiss border guards were um, doing quite nicely. And so I think they, even if they had been slightly suspicious of her they just chose to turn a blind eye and there are many entry points into Switzerland from France in the Geneva area and it's impossible to police all of them. So what impact did Regina have as a spy? Was she an effective um, operative? She was very. During her time in Marseille and it's quite easy to, to track it, a very substantial amount of Allied shipping was sunk. And, crucially, she warned the Germans about the French build-up around the Chemin des Dames. She was sending information 
that France was increasing the number of troops that it was sending up to the north, and also that all leave was being cancelled. And this, of course, is indicative of a big push about to, to take place. And it was her information that really made the Germans aware that something big was going to happen in this Chemande Dam area. And also, her ring was almost certainly behind the sinking of the ship Transylvania. And at her trial, a number of ships that she had spied on and sent information about to the Germans were, were listed. And it was considered so secret, so this information was considered so secret that the ships had to be mentioned by code name uh, only. So she was certainly a, a very effective spy. One nurse who spent about a week in Marseille when Regina was still operating noted in her diary that it was common knowledge that Marseille was full of effective spies and Regina was certainly the most effective of them. Now you've mentioned you've given away her fate and I, it, by, by the sounds of it she meets a sticky end. So what happens to her later in the war? Well, up until 1917, she had, I suppose, what one could call a good war. She rented a large flat in a comfortable area of Geneva, leaving Petit Sacconet far behind her. And she rented it for her mother and for herself when she went back to Switzerland. She entertained her lovers, um, courtesy of Schragmuller's generous pay, um, pay expense allowance. She entertained her lovers in one of Marseille's swankiest hotels. And she became a star music hall turn in Marseille's huge um, popular culture industry. So she was having a good war. So how was she caught? Thanks, believe it or not, to a wood-burning stove, which I know sounds a little bizarre, so I'll tell you the story in a nutshell. She was sending coded postcards using invisible ink back to Switzerland. One winter's night, a postal employee was sorting the, sorting the post out on the post train, moving up from Marseille to Lyon, and the stove was chucking out the heat. To this guy's amazement, he suddenly looked across at the uh, the post and he saw a postcard where a second message was suddenly being revealed. And of course, the way that you reveal a message that's been written in invisible ink is to hold it over heat. And it was so hot in the, in the wagon that the message was starting to become, it was obvious something was happening underneath this postcard. So very alert. As soon as the train stopped in Lyon, he went to the local gendarme, who were actually the people who were responsible for catching spies. He handed the card over and a tra trace was immediately put onto um, all posts coming out of Marseille, particularly postcards. And eventually this was traced back to her. She was being watched now and of evidence was gathered relatively quickly and the French talent for bureaucracy shines through here, the way they set about amassing the, the evidence against her. And of course, this sealed her fate. So it seems ironic that it was a wood-burning stove that brought her pack of cards tumbling down. And I take it she was tried and given the ultimate penalty for spies. She was indeed. Yes, the um, the trial lasted three days, which to our mind nowadays seems very very short. It was um, the whole process was done according to the to the rule book. It was um, it was a fair trial. It lasted three days. The judge found her guilty, called for um, the death penalty, and then it had to be sent. The death penalty had to be approved both by um, a court in um, in Lyon, and then finally an appeal was sent up to the president of the Republic, Poincaré and he went through all the evidence and found her guilty 
and that he saw no reason for clemency to be to be offered to her. Now, had she been a Swiss national, the Swiss may have been able to save her. But as she wasn't one of their nationals, they weren't the least bit interested. And of course, the, the sentence was carried out on the 5th of January 1918. So did she retain the nationality? I think she was of French-Italian descent, if I'm correct. So was she an Italian national or, or a she French was. national? She was an Italian Italian national, of course. Um, Italy was um, was also involved in the war on the Allies' side, and she, she just had residency rights in Switzerland. Ironically, if the war had broken out even two months later, she would have probably automatically been granted Swiss citizenship because there was a... What was happening just before the war is that people who had been born in in Switzerland were offered Swiss nationality. So had the war broken out two months later, her fate might have been very, very different. But as it was, um, the death penalty was called for and she was executed at a firing party with 25 rifles as opposed to the usual 12 on the 5th of January because the French were determined that she would die and that she there was no way she would be reprieved because of everybody having missed. So she she was killed or executed and buried in a common um, burial pit. And her remains have now completely disappeared. So was she alone in being a female uh, spy working for the Germans in France? No, no, there were certainly certainly others. They they appear every so often names appear in, for example, Swiss newspapers. These are often ones who who have been or sometimes there were Swiss women who've been reprieved. Other times it's just the Swiss seem to love spy stories as everybody else did during the war. So quite often the Swiss newspapers have got spy stories and they would always talk about a a woman who had been either executed or sentenced to to life imprisonment with with harm. Hard labor. But what we can be certain of is that those that we know about are only the tip of an iceberg. There are others who got away with it. And whilst the winning side, those who spied for them were revered, those who spied for Germany kept themselves out of the limelight. So we'll never really know how many were also doing exactly what Regina did, but they were luckier and got away with it. And finally, Viv, your book has been published today. Where can yes. people get it from? Very, very exciting. I have walked in the in the footsteps of Regina now for, for many years. I'm very excited to feel that she will be um, seeing the light of day. The book comes out published by Pen and Sword. It's either available through through Pen and Sword, through through Amazon and also um, various branches of Waterstones and Foils are are stocking it as as well. So it's a project that I'm delighted that she has finally seen the light of day. Well, it was a pleasure to hear about her and it was a pleasure to read and I'm sure people will find it fascinating. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.